Inomine Cinema e TV e Spiritus Streaming. Amen. Hello, hello, Hollywood faithful. We are back with a much anticipated special episode of the Hollywood Confessional. I'm your podcast priest, Megan Dane. And I'm J.R. Zamorathal. And yeah, the title of this week's episode says it all. Dead Staff Walking. Confessions of an Assistant Who Found Their Agency's Top Secret Strike Plan. So we like tease them a little bit, make them wait for it. Fuck it. Let's get right in the booth. Forgive me, Father, for I was in a group of assistants that found our agency's top secret plan to get rid of us during the 07 writer strike. Sounds like you're not the one who should be asking for forgiveness. Tell us what happened and maybe what support staff can do this time around. I started at agency the first week of July 2007. My boss was like a George Hamilton motherfucker on cocaine most of the time. He was also an uber born-again Christian. Jesus and cocaine feels so uniquely L.A. to me. (laughs) (laughs) This dude was wild, and how he became born again still kills me. He was high on cocaine, water skiing somewhere. He fucked up, got tangled in the cord, thought he was going to drown, then saw God, became born again. Yeah, that'll do it. But this is my confession, not his. So the week I started was the 4th of July. The guy who was supposed to train me on that desk was like, I'm going to work until lunch. Then all the agents are leaving for the weekend. So I'm going to go drink. (laughs) That was not the best. But luckily for me, he was incredibly organized and I could go back and read everything and get caught up. Genuinely, the best way to learn in this business is by doing. If you can't learn by doing, entertainment is probably not for you. To say that the agency world is white, rich, straight male dominated is, you know, duh. It's very chauvinistic and aggressive. Like my boss never let me forget, he was the only one generous enough to hire me, given that I was considered less attractive than other assistants. And if you are anything other than a straight, white, rich man, the last thing you want is to become known as difficult. If you get a reputation for being hard to work with, which can encompass a lot, and you are not earning a good six to eight times above your salary, you will be shut out. So it turned out that a lot of people liked dealing with me at this job because I was nice. I was efficient. And I worked for a straight, white, rich fucking maniac. (laughs) Or, you know, typical agent. (laughs) Also bear in mind, this was July of 2007 on a TV lit desk. The 100-day writer strike began in November of that year. So when I started at things were starting to get pretty serious out there. I grew up in a small town, and even though I'd worked at agencies for years, I was still a bit naive about how this all works. I believed in the dreams and the magic and the stardust and everything. So I bought into the whole, we rip our clients because we believe in them. But as time passed and we got closer to a potential strike, I started hearing agents talk shit about their clients. These fucking morons. Have you noticed on social media that agents on the picket lines these days are posting about it? (laughs) Pardon me if I'm cynical, but they are very much looking for new business. 
They want to polish their image, find who's unhappy, and scoop clients. They don't care at all about writers. They care about writers who can make them money. Do I also believe there are people out there who genuinely care about their clients and that there's a piece of them that actually does believe in the strike? Well, two things can be true at once. I worked for a manager who used to pound the desk and be like, it's show business, not show fun. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it was clear this was the beginning of something horrible for this entire business. And by late October, we were all starting to get pretty scared. When is this strike going to start? And as horrible and chauvinistic as the agency was in a lot of ways, all the assistants were tight. We would hang out on the weekends. We would go to the bar across the street every Thursday and Friday. We all went to each other's birthday parties. It was a crew. And because we had this really tight crew, everyone in the mailroom wanted to get in good with us. In agencies, there's a huge gray economy in assignments. If you're in the mailroom, you're trying to get up to be a floater. If you're a floater, you're trying to get on the desk in the department you want. So there is tons of back chatter and transaction shit going on. People trading favors, trying to get the leverage for a leg up. One day, a mailroom dude who wanted to be in TV Lit came up to me and he was like, Um, I just found something on the copier. And I'm like, cool. But he's like, no, look. And he just reveals the title and it says, 2007 strike plan. Holy shit. I was like, how many people are in the mailroom right now? It's just like me and one other person. Okay, make 10 copies. I'm going to talk to some people. We're going to go talk about what to do with this. The copies got made. The whisper network among the assistants started going. I kind of let it be known that there would be copies of the plan, but we definitely could not keep them. Luckily, this was before camera phones were good. No one had an iPhone. If you got a BlackBerry, you were a coordinator and above. Assistants didn't have them for the most part because we couldn't afford them. So nothing was on email, nothing was in writing, nothing. So we all go to the pub on Hollywood Boulevard. There was a little courtyard with fire pits and we all get a lot of drinks and we look at the document together. It was very plain. It was like, here's what happens after a week. Here's what happens after 21 days. Here's what happens after 30 days. Each stage at which people would be laid off. Each stage at which we would lose our jobs. First, it was the mailroom. Actually, the floaters might have been laid off first because from the boss's perspectives, <laughs> floaters. <laughs> fucked up. But the thing I will never forget, the reduction of the mailroom staff. The elimination of the floaters and suspending the fresh flower delivery for the agency. All that happened within like a week of each other. Just a bloodbath. I thought, oh my God, we have actual humans with salaries that were like $400 a week at that time. And they are competing with the flower order. You ever want to know where you stand? Yeah. When you see it in black and white, exactly where you fall on the chopping block and just how eager they are to shed bodies before they cut bonuses for their top earners. I think it makes you feel the way people are feeling today. Angry. So many of us were behind on rent, putting groceries on credit cards, going down to the kitchen after every conference and high level meeting, because if you got there fast enough, the kitchen staff would give you the leftovers. There was another whole gray economy around the leftovers from the kitchen. People were literally deciding between eating a meal or going hungry on the off chance the food they traded would help them down the line. I'm not gonna lie. 
part of the reason I even wanted to be an agent trainee was because they got served lunch every Friday. And it was buffet style, which meant I could take food home and cut down on my groceries for the week. I wouldn't be putting yet another thing on my credit card. At the bar, reading the plan, we were all just simmering with anger and anxiety. Ultimately, we agreed on two things. We knew there was going to be an all-assistance meeting later that week. So the fact that we had the strike plan before the meeting was huge. We agreed on a pact of silence and to burn the copies. It's a really good thing the pub had fire pits. Wow, so you burned them all there, huh? <laughs> or so we thought. Apparently, someone kept a copy. And this one fucking idiot, fuck you, to this day. <laughs> We'd already been like, nobody say anything. If anyone lets on to management that we know, they will shift the earth beneath us. And then in the all assistance meeting, this guy fucking was like, uh, so, um, is there like anything like a strike plan out there? Oh my God. Fuck that guy. We were all so pissed because that was our one advantage. We knew the order of the flowers going and us going, and that gave us one extra week to plan. Luckily, the head of HR, who some of us were secretly cool with because she knew how horrible these people were, she was like, Let me field this one. I have no idea what you're talking about. She shielded us in that moment. The strike lasted about 100 days, but for the most part, most of us were still standing by the end of it. And we'd felt like we'd made it through a war. Do you think the reason people didn't end up getting fired is because the bosses knew the strike plan had been leaked? You know, yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I never really thought about it a ton, but considering some of the stuff I'm talking about, all the agencies are afraid of bad press. And because Deadline took over and was so good at scoops, I think there was a piece of them that was afraid it would get out and it would be bad press. Not that it was the wrong thing to do in their eyes, but it was bad press. They wanted good press. Like, they went out to the line. And I definitely know of mortgage payments and bills that were paid for clients because they were out on strike. You can guess who they were paid for. The people who probably needed it the least? I mean... They've got to pay their mansion mortgage, too. <laughs> but yeah, there were so many conflicts of interest, particularly on the lit side of the business. And things were just beginning to change. So we got through the strike. I made it to the agent trainee program. I was getting my groceries subsidized because I had that Friday meeting. I got to move to a desk that I wanted because, again, my boss was a maniac. Did I already mention he made me steal his ex-wife's car? Oh my God. So many things. Then the financial crisis hit in 2008. And because it's run by who is quite possibly the stupidest businessman on the planet, our agency was immediately cash-strapped. So we came in one day in February 2009, and a third of the work staff was gone. You survived all that time just to get cut by the next thing. A good portion of them were the people that made up this tight crew of people. The assistants who had been my support system. We were threatened with it before the strike, and then a little over a year later, it actually happened. So many people I knew that were good at their jobs. Good people. Always produce great work. The dream of what you want to work with in this industry. No job. Because a budget needed to be met. 
and someone just drew a line and they were gone. Almost like it was planned all along. As for me, for the past year and a half, I'd been dealing with all this hazing, yelling, politicking, becoming an agent trainee, trying to work my way up to coordinator. I had lost the position to someone else. Now, in the midst of all these layoffs, they told me they were letting the other person go. And they were just like, now you're the coordinator. It was the shittiest way to get a promotion. They told me before they told her. They were like, yeah, go down, is going to train you. So I go down, and she just looks at me, and she's like, I spent a long time working to spin up all these relationships, and you went behind my back. I didn't think I had. I didn't know I had, but she was like, good fucking luck. She added me to one email chain, and I had to do everything else myself from there. Wow. So how did you cope with all the stress? I drank a lot. A lot. The environment I was in, every single person, including the assistants, had hard liquor in our desks at all times. And the number of times that I have done a call, done a meeting, done a presentation hungover is way too high. I actually thought I was doing better because I did it hungover. I watched people take meetings drunk, high on coke, having done speed, having done E. (laughs) I can only imagine what some of those meetings must have been like. There was a group at known as the Coke Crew. (laughs) I went to one of them one day because I had heard he was a dealer and I wanted to see if weed would help me relax. This was before it was legal in California. The guy was like, you know, I never get asked for that anymore. I got a gram of Coke in my car if you want that. (laughs) I was like, nope, I'm good. (laughs) So I got this weird Pyrrhic victory by becoming a coordinator. But because of the staff cuts and combining roles, I couldn't quit any of my assistant duties. And it was now March of 2009, so we're going into staffing season. In the midst of all this, I had been advocating for over a year at this point for our agency to start a story department like they had at the other agencies. Collective department, where all they did was coverage and put up data sets. Like... A story intelligence operation where you're not only evaluating material and sending it back to your film finance team, your talent team, whatever, but you're also actively looking for, would this be good for our clients? Is this going for a room? Are there clients we should be going after? I had been waiting to do this for a very long time. And in March 2009, after I had just become the coordinator and the assistant, they told me I could. I said, I can't do all three. So they said, well, I guess you'll have to find somebody else. Wow. So the thing that you actually wanted was the thing you had to give away. Right. They were like, you can either do all three or give up the story department. So I went and sat down in B***'s office. (laughs) That little runt. He was the chief financial officer at the time. And I was like, if you want me to do any of this, you're going to raise my salary. And he said, we don't have it in the budget. So I said... I guess I'm not leaving your office. I'm sitting here until you raise me to, hold on to your hats, ladies and gentlemen, $750 a week. (laughs) Oh, that's ballsy. (laughs) Here's the thing. When I went in there, I went in at $650 a week, and I was the top paid assistant. They never let me forget that. After a year, I got raised to $700 a week. And now we're a year and a half into this. So the CFO was like, you already had your raise for the year. So I said... I guess I'm not leaving your office. And you were just asking for $50 a week more. Ah, oh my 
God. I think this was the only time I ever got actual respect from an agent because I just wouldn't move. It was ticking toward lunch and he had to leave for a meeting and I was like, I don't care. Go to your lunch. I will still be here when you get back. So finally he was like, fine. (laughs) Wow, that's awesome. For 50 more dollars a week. A victory is a victory is a victory. (laughs) It was. But unsurprising to everyone, it wasn't enough. I burnt out. I was a coordinator, an assistant, also a trainee. So I was going to multiple meetings a week. I was also supposed to get all the grids together for the TV lit department. I'm supposed to be finding time to go meet clients and find new material, all this kind of stuff. I I began to hate everything so much, which is so sad because I love all of this so much. And also at the time I was like, I've been doing this for seven years, seven years. And I haven't even gotten a chance to do anything yet. So I waited until the upfronts were done and the recastings were done. And then I went to my boss and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm burnt out. I can't do it. And his whole face falls. And I was like, oh my God, is he going to care? And he was like, but we're promoting you. And I'm like, what? The whole point of the agent trainee program was they were going to promote two people. There was one guy who was always going to get promoted. Nepo baby, I'm Mm. sure. Then there was me and the other contender. And my boss was saying they had chosen me. I felt like I was being given a death sentence. And I just said, I don't want it. You better find somebody else. I'll never forget the feeling of sitting at my desk and hearing the huge cheer that gets let out when they announce the promotions. Half an hour later, everyone comes down carrying champagne, already half drunk. And I was just like, I turned this down. Why did I turn it down? What is wrong with me? In hindsight, I think a lot of it goes back to those early days of the strike. Anything I'm describing now could have happened last week. It's happening today, right now. People are unbelievably and righteously angry because they're seeing in black and white how much or how little the industry values them as humans. The funny thing is, when I finally decided to choose myself, I remember why I got into representation in the first place, which is... I never wanted to be the creator who got screwed over because they didn't understand the business. I'm really glad I stayed long enough to learn all that, but at what cost is something I will probably grapple with for the rest of my life. Wow, it's an incredible story. Thank you for sharing it with us. We hope you can find a way to create in peace. Okay, I have so many things to say about this. First of all, thank you to the confessor who was willing to share their story. I know there are a lot of support staffers out there who have similar stories to tell, but they feel like they can't because it might impact their careers. Yeah, there are definitely lots of people going through it right now. A couple of weeks ago, there was an article on Deadline, in fact, about Verve planning a strategic series of employee layoffs. Apparently, 30 assistants got laid off as compared to three agents. The whole idea of support staff being a sunk cost. I mean, (laughs) we've both worked for years as support staffers, and it makes you feel like none of it ever even mattered. Like the people making the money just see support staff like a wasted expense. I think some do. It's like our confessor said, they might have weathered the first storm in 2007, but in 2008, when the recession came around, all those people who had invested so much of their lives. Yeah, like seven years in the confessor's case. Right. Those people were reduced to a line item in a budget. 
I mean, and this is what always happens, right? The agency world and entertainment in general, they're no different from any other industry. But I feel like our industry takes you through greater extremes. Like the rewards are so enormous financially and creatively, but they get withheld sometimes totally unnecessarily. Often unnecessarily. Right. And the process of pursuing them can be so degrading that by the time you reach them, sometimes like our confessor, you don't even want them anymore. Wow. Way to bring down the energy. (laughs) Sorry. That was kind of unusually dark, wasn't it? (laughs) Hey, if you want to get out of the game, you don't want your next writing job, I'll be happy to take it. No, no, no. I didn't mean me. I am still full of optimism and light and the joy of creation. (laughs) I get what you mean, though. And that's what we're here to change. That's why we keep fighting this good fight. Not just you and me, but all the Hollywood faithful. And speaking of fighting the good fight, our shout out today goes to a number of people who have done that. But one in particular, Javier Grio Marxwat. Javier is one of several people who went on the record for journalist Mo Ryan's upcoming book, Burn It Down, Power, Complicity, and a Call for Change in Hollywood. We are super excited about this book. And the uh, preview chapter in Vanity Fair last week basically like made Twitter blow up. It did. I'm barely on Twitter and I saw it. In that chapter, Javi and several other writers, as well as actor Harold Perrineau, went on the record describing the toxic work environment on the series Lost. Yeah, I don't think we can overstate how huge this was. Like, Lost is an icon. Its showrunners are icons. But as Javier stated, this is a direct quote, if Lost is so great a work of art as to continue to be a topic of discussion after all these years, then it is cruel to expect those of us who were there to remain silent as to how the show was made. Lost succeeded because of the sustained contribution of many, many artists, many of them geniuses in their own right, and many of whom were treated quite badly and then disappeared in favor of auteur showrunner hagiography. Definitely check out the Vanity Fair article, Mo Ryan's book, and Javier's essay. His Twitter handle is at OKBJGM. And shout out to all those people who went on the record and put their careers on the line to make Hollywood a happier place. Thank you so much to all of those who did that. And um, thank you to all of you listeners. That's all we've got for you this week. Please be sure to hit us up on socials at Fess Up Hollywood. We'll talk to you next time, Faithful. Go create in peace. The Hollywood Confessional is produced by Megan Dane and J.R. Zamorathal. Our cast for this episode, Mike Mizwicky, Timothy Wardell. Special effects provided by Zapsplat and Pixabay. Hollywood Confessional is a Ninth Way Media production. Follow us on socials at Fess Up Hollywood. <laughs>